Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, Star Cable, Exxon TV, and our affiliates around the world. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com, and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. For the last two weeks, we've been uh, talking with either Nigel Kerner, who is the author of Grey Aliens and Harvesting and the Harvesting of Souls, The Conspiracy to Genetically Tamper with Humanity, as well as Dr. Silverman uh, about the uh, Grey Aliens. And uh, last week we talked to Dr. Silverman about the Shroud of Turin. And first of all, gentlemen, it's a pleasure talking to you one more time uh, all the way in the United Kingdom. So uh, welcome back to the Exxon. It's Thanks. our pleasure talking to you. Yeah, good to be here. <laughs> now, now, first of all, for the listeners who may not have been with us last week or the week before, Nigel, give us a little recap into Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls. Well, it's just simply a journal that um, I put together as a result of 
looking at this question of UFOs and their kind of bizarre conspiracy um, mm -hmm. and the uh, the puzzles it's raised uh, on, on the Earth and then what what on Earth is this? Is there a reality to this, or is, is this some kind of uh, imaginary thing that people cling to, for, uh, rather like the Tooth Fairy and so on? Right. And I went into this particular thing in, uh, rather frivolously in, in, at the start, believing it was all nonsense. And I came, up, came out of the other end of all of this with a, an idea about it that was completely the reverse that I had uh, and ex existentially uh, changed my entire view of what we might call reality in, 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 the, in, the, in the way that we see the, the, the day's own troubles, so mm -hmm. to speak, constructed, you know. Now... Um let, let me see. Uh, you know what? It's 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 a very strange phenomenon. More and more people are talking about UFOs, extraterrestrials, and and visitors from other planets. Uh, do you think they are real? Are they really here? And if so, why haven't we got proof that we can go to the bank with, so to speak? Yeah, well, there's an awful lot of proof, but the problem is that the banks are all closed, and the banks are controlled by very powerful sections of our society that really do not want the, uh, the affirmations of reality to be made known to the, the world at large. So very sadly, it's probably the the biggest and best kept secret. And, I, and the reason I have written a book and it's causing um, uh, kind of, you know, um, problems around the world uh, with with uh, people uh, trying to get to the, 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 the ha get sure. a handle on this question is that it is a, uh, a factor that when draped into our normal society type of outlook, it brings together some very, very powerful uh, um, and dangerous ideas that certain people really don't want the mainstream in our world to know. If you control the information mm -hmm. system, you control the world. And that's really what this is all about. And so if we have something like an alien entity interfering in the affairs of humanity, you can imagine the repercussions in, in some quarters. And I think that there are people who don't want this uh, to, to be actually known in its true terms of reference and of course, people uh, have to go and have a look for themselves, as 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 people tend to do. And this is really what has brought me uh, to the conclusions I have in the in the two books that I've written so far, and the third one's just finished. It's, it's really part of a trilogy of looking at this question as clearly and rationally and scientifically as I possibly could. And it's taken me twenty odd years to come up with an answer. All right, Nigel, uh, please stand by. Doctor Silverman, please stand by. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break. This is the Exxon. We're talking about gray aliens and the harvesting of soul, the conspiracy to genetically tamper with humanity. For more information, visit uh, Nigel's website at www.nigelkerner.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. 
forced metaphors. Presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Doesn't mean much So Nation, uh, Nigel Kerner and uh, Dr. Silverman are my guests this hour. We're talking about gray aliens and the harvesting of souls, the conspiracy to genetically tamper with humanity. Now, last week when I was talking to you, Dr. Silverman, we were talking about the Shroud of Turin. What is the connection between the grays and archaeological and even historical implications when it comes to theology? Well, I'll let, I'll let Nigel take this. Well, okay. the, the whole thing is a kind of... See, the, the, you've got to follow the dots, basically, Rob. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea is to connect up what uh, the historical character of Jesus and Italy. Uh, there is no doubt that there was a historical character called Jesus. Mm-hmm. Josephus, the famous historian, has him listed in his, his anthology. And uh, it's one of the first things I did uh, when I started my research was to actually verify was, re- was there a character called Jesus in, in historical terms. And there's no doubt about that. I think I can say that in, in terms of what I discovered, right. that there actually was one. And of course, the whole point is now what on earth is the significance? And that's a good way of putting on earth is the significance of such a character and all the claims that are made in his mm-hmm. name. Now, in order to actually connect up something as bizarre as aliens with a so-called spiritual factorization like Jesus Christ, for instance, you, you might think this is too bizarre for a connection to occur, but there is a very strong one as quoted in the New Testament, in the Bible, for instance, and many other texts that I've researched you know, around the actual Christian um, uh, codex, so to speak, and it comes up with a very interesting story, in fact, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, let me say at the start, I'm not a sure. religious person, but I've had to study many of these religious texts from many authorities of, you know, many different religions mm-hmm. in trying to figure out what these aliens are and why they might be here and what they might be doing. And I found, strangely, as I went along, that this individual they call Jesus Christ gave us the best clues to all this during what he described 
in the New Testament, and is described in rather, not him, but in the New Testament, as the temptation in the desert. Very interesting interlude, this Rob. And um, as a, I mean, I don't know if you are a Christian, but if you can lay your hands on the Bible and look up Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, you get the catalog of it there, and you've got uh, actually Luke taking this on as well. And the confrontation between Jesus and a strange entity who claimed to have dominion over the earth. Now, this is a very interesting um, um, kind of, you know, interplay here. An entity they call Satan. I believe that this character they call Satan fits well with being a sort of leader of alien entities. In fact, and let me, let me say why I, I, I do this. In fact, the ancient translation of the word Satan, as I think uh, when, when, you, when you spoke to Dr. Silverman, he made this point uh, the, uh, the last time you spoke, mm-hmm. is in fact he who fell from the sky. In fact, I now think that the things we call demons are really aliens and have been aliens all through history. The power of the devil to me is simply a technological power of a superintelligent, synthetically constructed biological entity, which is a machine, a synthetic roboid, a robot. And as you will see in the account in the Bible that describes how Christ was confronted with this character, Satan, and after a season of threats and, you know, cajolements, Jesus finally dismisses this entity who claims a kind of chargeship of the whole world. Now, it's a bizarre thing that something would come at this man and say, look, I own the world, so to speak, you know. And he then sets about tempting uh, the character, Jesus Christ, with various things. And, of course, uh, he takes him to a high place. And this is crucial. He takes him to a high place. There is no, and in, in this high place is supposed to have shown Jesus the cities of the world. Now, there is no mountain high enough from Judea, or indeed anywhere on the earth for that matter, which, uh, in which, uh, on which, from which anyone at any time, even in the present time, could see the cities of the world, except from space. In fact, Judea could be seen to be a perfect central aspect from which you, you, know, you could view all the main influence centers of the planet at the time. If you, if, if you look at it on a two-dimensional scale, uh, in terms of its main land masses. In other words, you don't look at it in a three-dimensional mm-hmm. global context, but a two-dimensional thing, you know. Right. You would simply have to go high enough to view all the main cities of the world at the time if you did this. And that height would have to be, as a minimum, a view from space. So Christ would have had to have been in space to be shown that aspect of the cities of the world. So Jesus would have had to have been in contact with something that could, you know, take him into space. And what better candidate for that than UFOs and the aliens that operate the technosphere of such, um, if you like. As far as I know, not even NASA was going at that time. <laughs> so so are, we talking, are we talking about the Nephilim or the Nephilim, those who descended from the sky as actually being extraterrestrials? And where do angels... That's absolutely and, true. And where do, absolutely where do angels fit into this entire scenario? Well, there, there is a, another, another level of this, which mm-hmm. I think we all have to understand. And that goes back to the actual preliminaries of how we as a 
as a living race came, up, came about. I think the Nephilim and all these things are an artificial machine-type creation. And I think the distinction, and a very, very important distinction, lies in the fact that the other things we talk about, angels and so on, are a natural cascade, an eventology, a ancestral mechanism that takes us beyond the Big Bang into a state of being that is implied and inferred and is natural and allows for an eternal scale. Whereas the other thing is one rather like the universe that is constructed in a limited and finite scale of existence. And the two things are the absolutely vital contrast. One will end the other is forever. And we, I think, as a living species... Um, we uh, are Nigel, we're, Nigel, we're losing you intermittently. It seems as uh, you're, you're on and off, on and off, sorry, on and off. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I, I'll do my best to okay. keep near the microphone. All right. So, uh, can, you, uh, can you hear me now? Much I'm better, sorry. thank you. Much better. All right, okay. Now, the, the important thing, I think, to, to understand is the distinction between what is natural and comes in an ancestral cascade, rather like we, we do. You know, mm -hmm. we've had dad, granddad, great-granddads, and going back to the beginning of the universe. Now, this mechanism goes beyond the point at which the universe began, and I do believe that this is, is this crucial thing. What was be before is not of atoms and matter and force and a breaking up process. But once the Big Bang started, the second law of thermodynamics comes into play and everything is going into a grander state of chaos and randomness with time. And so we are stuck, if you like, as an artifact of these two principles of something that's eternal with a scope to be the opposite, the yin and the yang. And there's, there's a part of us that can claim back an ancestry into an eternal scale. I think this is what the great teachers were trying to tell us. And you've got the other representatives, the ones of a finite scale, a created scale, and these are the Nephilim and these are these roboids and so on. And near the twain shall meet, shall we say, and this is the big deal here, the battle between the two scales of reference. And this is what I think all human beings have to be warned about. We have amongst us an incredible intelligence that is causing havoc amongst humanity by intercepting this natural cascade down and genetically intercepting it to create something that they themselves might piggyback on and claim some kind of reference. You create a machine, and that machine then one day wants to know how the machine can be a man, rather like Pinocchio wanted mm -hmm. to be a little boy. I think that they want this incredible facility we all have, naturally, to exist outside atoms eternally. And I think this is what Jesus Christ and all these great teachers were about. They were trying to tell us, for heaven's sake, there is a mechanism that you can use, there's a process you can use to retain this capacity to, to live forever. And if you do it right, you can do that. However, if you get it wrong, there are these scales of reference in, in a finite sense who will take you apart and end your propensity 
to be able to do this. And that is a big deal. And I think that's what I, the people who might, in a sense, know about these mm -hmm. things here are in authority and maybe hiding these things really don't realize that they are here to work a con on us, to take away our eternity by piggybacking on every single human being who has this natural propensity. They want to be part of us so that they, with their superior uh, intelligence, uh, digital intelligence, synthetic intelligence, programmed intelligence can actually interface with us. And I believe that this is the big battle that's going on now, which leads to, you know, maybe in the future, man walking as machine, something I wrote in an article recently called SIM card man. And look around you, Rob, see what's happening to our societies. They're becoming more systemic. Human beings are, are, are being corralled into yes. actually moving within this scale of reference. And that's why I wrote the book. So I want people to look at this and see may, if there may be some way of looking at it with truth, if you see what I'm trying to say. I don't really want to preach new meanings to the world, let me tell you that now. Not for me. Not for <laughs> I you. just simply discovered this and wanted my children to take a look at these paradigms. All right, Nigel, decide. please stand by. Let you and stand. I have to take our commercial break. We'll be back after the news. Exxon Nation, two very special guests this hour. Nigel Kerner and uh, Dr. Silverman. And uh, we're going to be back talking about Nigel's book entitled Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Soul, the Conspiracy to Genetically Tamper with Humanity. www.nigelkerner.com My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon, a place where people dare to believe, dare to be heard. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news. Don't go away. I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Splenza, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the Exxon. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell.
Exo Nation, we're talking to Nigel Kerner and uh, Dr. Silverman. We're talking about gray aliens and the harvesting of souls, the conspiracy to genetically tamper with humanity. Uh, the website to visit is www.nigelkerner.com. Nigel, let me ask you this. Who is God? I think that is a singularity that is implied. I think we have two poles. Mm -hmm. One a yin, one a yang. One where all things are together in a perfect, harmonious, altogetherness, we might call the all. And the other is the opposite, which is a virtually chaotic uh, pole uh, against which the two things play. And in between the two, the potential difference, the power between one opposite and the other, provides the... Uh, the existential mechanism to bud off universes like ours, which is a mixture of both. And I think within our physical universe, there is a stature or a placement where you get one represented and the other represented two side by side. And I think intra-atomically, so to speak, Rob, we have the universe of chaos, the breakup side of it all. And in the space between atoms, Right at the center there, we have a zero point of no force. And that is the admission point that we all go to at death and through which we can access the wonderful glory of the other pole of existence, which is that point at which all things come together in a complete and harmonious whole. And that may be described as heaven, if you like. And God might well be that central principle that marks that point. And that is just an, an inference. I don't believe, of course, the thing of God being an anthropomorphic individual that, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of how ludicrous this is. Uh, are we to assume, you know, for instance, that the final, you know, divine source is the ultimate egoist? And this is what's sold to us, who must be continually praised, mm -hmm. affirmed, and placated. Does it make sense, for instance, that, you know, the true divinity would reveal itself in the blood of sheep and goats on a temple altar, for instance, a place of worship that is an abattoir, constantly dripping with the blood of sacrificial animals, you know, kind of as a, as a promulgation of faith and a behest to pulchritude, you know? It's, it's ludicrous. Is it likely that the blood of doves and lambs an endless chance will please an unseen entity that decides all things finally. I just don't get it. Is, it. is it possible? Is it possible that the early tribes of this of the existence on this planet had no other way to explain the events surrounding them, so they themselves made up the myth, the legends, the folklore pertaining Absolutely. to the creation that eventually became the Bible. Absolutely. I believe that this was an attempt to actually understand this incredible stuff that's going on because we have an interposition mm -hmm. of a power, an incredibly advanced power within the echelons of our Earth perspective, so to speak, and that this then led ordinary men to try to find answers to the, this incredible power. And of course, in a way, this actually cites what really is the, is, is the big deal here, Rob. That is this incredible piece of cloth called the Shroud of Turin, because you know, this thing is the thing that affirms 
what I think I'm trying to get to, and that is we have an incredible power locked in each of us human beings that can manifest the same things as this great uh, Semitic, beautiful Semitic teacher came and tried to teach us in Jerusalem. He was trying to tell us, hang on a minute, you've got something here, you better watch in the future. And this is the way you behave to access the antidote to it, so to speak. And then he showed us with his life this incredible series of things. And then finally, with his death, he proved so that 2,000 years later, with present-day science, we have an artifact that no one can explain, that in fact is a magnificent verification of, of the grandeur and truth of this person. And that's what mm. Andrew wants to talk about, really. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, but once again, I'm, I've got to ask that question. How do we know for a fact? A fact, not a hypothesis, not a belief, not a, an, an assumption. Yeah, yeah. How do we know but, that this shroud was actually on the one that is known as Jesus? Well, if you look, actually, if anyone, I would invite any single person on the face of this earth to look deeply without prejudice mm -hmm. into all the information that's being gathered at the moment about this, both scientific and anecdotal and historical. And I tell you, if you have the slightest bit of fairness in your nature, you will come to the conclusion that we have something absolutely wondrous here. Oh. Andrew is an absolute, let me tell you, I was at Frascati when he gave mm -hmm. a, um, a dissertation about this, and every single scientist, one of the, they are the best in the world looking at this thing, and they really are looking at this, you know, uh, in terms of uh, objectivity rather than subjectivity, and Andrew just stunned them by his take on it and the reason why this thing happened. But he's the expert, and he really knows about this uh, in, in its detail a little bit more than I do, even though I did research it and, uh, and wrote something about it. I think Andrew took this on sure. uh, another level. So but perhaps you can, uh, I, I can let him actually explain what makes him believe the Shroud to be genuine. Uh, okay, Andrew, as I, as I yes. said last week, I, I don't doubt the, the authenticity of the Shroud. I just question... How do we know for a fact that the shroud actually came from the one that we call Jesus and not someone else who may have discovered the secret? Well, I mean, it would just be such a, such a huge coincidence that someone else would have um, had all the same things happen to them that happened to Jesus and can be shown forensically to have happened to the man on the, on the shroud. But the point is, of course, as, as I was implying mm -hmm. last time, that whatever the name is of this, this man, um, whether he's John Smith or Yeshua ben Yosef, that this magnificent thing that, ha that happened to him showed the potential that is there inherent in all human beings. And that's the point. And that's why, in a way, I, um, although obviously I can't speak sure. on his behalf, but I'm I wouldn't have thought he would mind um, that whether people think it's, it's him or not, because his point is that he was saying that it is everyone, that anyone can, he said, all these things that I do, you too can do. And he, he said, is it not written, you are gods? So your, your question, who is God? Well, Everyone is. Every single human being is in their potentiality, not necessarily in, in terms of how they're, how they're living now. But I, I will relate this more to the Shroud. I mean, the, the thing about this is that, as I was saying last time, that if you, if you look at, at what science and in particular quantum theory discovered in the last century, the, the 20th century, in terms of the, the primordial primacy, if you like, of consciousness, sentience, as being the actual fundamental base upon which all of reality is, is formed, that 
mankind as a conscious, sentient, intelligent being can't just be uh, a random chance thing that has happened to happen at the at the end, so to speak. And neither do we need to invoke some kind of creator god, some kind of white man in the sky with a beard, you know, pointing his finger to mm-hmm. to make us do what what we do. But it it's a natural cascade, as, as Nigel was saying, that you can see that can happen out of the the polarities, the two polarities, union against separation. Now, if you look at what was said about how Jesus taught and how he lived, it was all he was always stressing two things. One was permanence against transience. In other words, do you want the things that that moths eat, that rust breaks down? He was talking about the second law of thermodynamics. Or do you want the things that are eternal? And do you want to to be to be separate and to be to divide, to be to be selfish? Um, or do you want to to unite, to bring together, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing so, perhaps showing the, the primacy of what we came from in the, in the eternal status of, of consciousness before the Big Bang, perhaps undo the separation that happened that formed matter in the first place. I think, I think Nigel would like yeah, to... Yeah, we see that the whole point here, Rob, is that there is a momentum that we have that these gray machines can't actually achieve and that is the ability of mind to choose freely and we have this mechanism of mind they are a program they -hmm. cannot change the program they function on an intelligence that adds in compound terms and so therefore they're looking at something that can carry on that can be born that maybe be born again they may be able with their technology to follow the field of information that leaves us when we die and re-enters another body at another conception somewhere who knows uh, that can't be proved but you were talking about actually verifying that whether jesus actually is represented in the shroud of turin look there are 29 points that no one can deny really if you look at it where this individual who was scourged. The scourge marks are there, many, many, many of, hun- over a hundred of them. The Roman, um, the Roman flagrum that was used actually coincides with these marks on this, actually, on this representation, on, this, on this, uh, you know, this image there. The crown of thorns, the only thing that was reserved for one single individual, because they crowned him the king of the Jews, so to speak. No one else that was killed has a crown of thorns. And there it is, verified on this in biological and forensic terms. As I said, the lashes on his back and the spear marks, and also the fact that he was crucified in his wrists, not in his palms. All these things, you know, you would have to be a super, super duper genius to be able to fake all this. Mm -hmm. And in any case, to try to do this. With present-day science, and they still cannot. The image is distance-coded. It's an amazing thing. Mm. In other words, the actual two-dimensional flat surface image, when looked at with a certain type of technology they use in the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena in Texas, they discovered you could lift a three-dimensional image of the face of this individual in perfect symmetry Mm. without the thing breaking up. No other image on the face of this globe can do that at the moment. No other photograph. And no other photograph particularly can do this. So the point is that we have something absolutely amazing here. And I think he was trying to 
perhaps as a jest. And, you know, everyone sees Jesus as this holier-than-thou, glorious, reverential being. But I think he had a sense of humor. And maybe he's having a bit of a smile at the moment, watching us all running around, chasing our tails, so to speak, with this particular thing, especially as science is doing their best to get rid of God, so to speak, in the old anthropomorphic sense, if you see what I'm trying to say. And, of course, I... I came at this as a real skeptic, let me tell you. Nothing could convince me. You know, I'm, I, was, I was baptized a Catholic as a child, and, and I came across Jesuit teachers who, you know, who say, give me the child at seven and I'll give you the man, so to speak. And I was determined to stay outside the box and knock these guys on the head. And let me, let me tell you, I'm not a fan of organized religion at all. But I'll tell you what, in looking at the UFO question, mm-hmm. and that's the amazing thing, I came to believe that maybe these great teachers were actually telling us the truth. Andrew wants to come yeah, in here. Um, sure. One interesting thing about what it is that, that shows it may have been Jesus himself on the cloth, if you look at the accounts of his life, there is a couple of occasions where he is said to have, to have risen above the ground and on one occasion to have shone brighter than the sun. Now, there has been forensic work done on the image in the shroud that suggests that at the moment that, 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 that the image was formed, there was a bright flash of, of, of radiance from him, brighter than the sun, for about 0.1 of a, of a nanosecond, even including ultraviolet light perhaps which is what causes the glare of the sun and and this image happened while he was actually upright and suspended above the ground you can tell this from the position of his feet and the fact that if you look at the position of his hair and so on that it's and and his the back of his body if you were had been flat you would expect expected the um the back of his body to have been flattened against the slab that he was lying on but everything is actually rounded and in in perfect proportion and the hair isn't back it's down. I, I look at this point in my book and I actually, it's a, it's a fascinating, I've got some photographs that actually show this whole thing and you know, it really does convince when you look at all these facts together mm-hmm. that something extraordinary took place here and I think what he was trying to say is that the most extraordinary thing of all is that you, me and all of those poor people who feel so deprived and whatever, they have within them, if they can think together Union, in united terms, we call that love. I suppose you could call that love. If you bring all of that together, that something there is about us that can actually dissolve the hydrogen bonds in our physicality and do the thing he did in this demonstration of transfiguration he demonstrated to Peter, James, and John, you know, in Mount Hermon, and where he glowed brighter than the sun. It was a kind of dress rehearsal for the final resurrection when they finally did speaking the about Speaking about resurrections, I've got to take a commercial break here, so please stand by. <laughs> Exxon Nation, two very special guests this hour, Nigel Kerner and Dr. Daniel Silverman, www.nigelkerner.com. We're talking about gray aliens and the harvesting of souls, the conspiracy to genetically tamper with humanity. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. When I first saw you, I saw love. First time you touched me, I felt love. 
time You're still the one I love mm, yeah Looks like we made it Look how far we've come, my baby We might have took the long way so tell me, after this uh, this final segment, we're on our final segment, what would you like to leave the Exo Nation with, Nigel and uh, Dr. Silverman? Go and look for yourself, folks. There is a fantastic revelation out there that's full of meaning in the rational, not in the claim and the subjective kind of, you know, um, misinterpretations that, shall we say, to be kind, people have done through the centuries to lead us astray. There is a marvelous connection here that gives us great hope to be something wonderful. And I think the great teachers came and tried to say this to us all. And I don't really wish to sound mm-hmm. to sound religious or sell my book. But let me tell you this. There are references in it for the, the seeker after, and the sincere seeker after what might be true, to have sought the wheat from the shaft, so to speak. And I think that's really what it's all about. I want my children, particularly, to have a legacy of being able to see something that is true and not be sold a bill of goods so that particular cartels can grab favor over another one and so forth. And I think that that's really where it's at, without sounding too kind of portable sure. or whatever, or, or sweet or benign. I really do believe, as a father, that's my duty. Andrew might wish to say something on yeah, this. Yeah, um, I would say that if, if we look at the shroud, I believe there's tangible scientific empirical evidence on the shroud that suggests that that mankind is far far more than than we could ever dream of that mm-hmm. actually that it shows that we don't have a beginning we don't have an end that death is not our end death isn't something to be to be afraid of but also to show that if we need to understand who we are and our immense potential that that potential is contained in all other human beings as well whatever race religion nationality they are and so we need to you know treat everyone yeah. with with that respect if and also just want to say if people want to find more details about information about the shroud Barry Schwartz's wonderful website shroud.com has a lot of information on it. Yes, and there's another thing I'd like to. I mean, I, I don't want to, mm-hmm. to go on the um, the business of you know your personal, my personal claims or whatever. Sure. It really is something that individuals ought to try to do to look at this particular thing fresh and new. I'm, I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I can't say this often enough. Uh, you know, Rob, please go and look at this and find as much information as you can about this uh, this shroud business because it does tie it up to this incredible menace that we have on the earth today and somewhere somehow the world has got to actually expose this and who the people who are hiding this mythology that we are in charge on this planet we are not we are a kept species and i have spent 30 odd years trying to verify this so that i can tell my children you know no we're not but I have to tell you that in the end of all of this, I am absolutely convinced that we are a kept, sponsored species by a bunch of roboidal, highly, very, very, very advanced intellect uh, types of being that is really customary, I believe, in the universe. I think this is going on all over the place. We just happen to be the, a planet that has been 
interposed with this particular thing. And unless we realize that these things are doing it for their own agenda and not ours, and those protecting them realize that, I think humanity might be in a lot of trouble. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much. We've run out of time, unfortunately, but I do want to thank you, Nigel, very much. Uh, Dr. Andrew Silverman, thank you very much. And ExoNation, for more information on... Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, the Conspiracy to Genetically Tamper with Humanity, visit www.nigelkerner.com. That's www.nigelkerner.com. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past as the Exxon continues from our studios here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. <laughs>